Hello, I'm Nigella Lawson and these are my seasonal sound bites in celebration of festive cooking produced in collaboration with my publishers Vintage. Now, I make no secret of the fact that Christmas lunch is my favourite meal in the world. As I've often said, I wallow in it and relish it. For me, the cosy splendour of a full festive table, and even better, the company of those sitting around it, always just about outweighs those moments of rocketing blood pressure. Here, I talk through the before, during and after of my Christmas. The traditional classics, the alternative recipes, and those dishes I return to year after year. And, of course, some tips for minimising stress levels and making sure the season of goodwill stays that way. How far in advance do you plan for your Christmas? I am so bad at planning. I start thinking about Christmas early and I tell myself I'm going to plan, but I'm very bad at it. I think that, for me, planning too far ahead makes me feel suddenly constrained, as if... I've got these orders I have to follow. I mean, there are certain recipes I do start tinkering with early. Obviously, a Christmas pudding should be made early, but I always slightly get in under the wire and just about manage it in the beginning of December, maybe. And I haven't actually made my Christmas pudding yet, but it's there, the ingredients are ready, and I'm going to do it. I know some people make a Christmas pudding a year in advance. I manage that one year. (laughs) I make mincemeat early. It's not very complicated. I don't do an enormous fancy one. I do like to add cranberries, though. I think that gives a bit of a zing. Sometimes a mince pie can be just too sweet, and cranberries give that edge. And at Christmas, sometimes a bit of edge is what's needed. I think sometimes what's quite difficult is those sort of parties that you give around Christmas or people come for a drink. And I make some Parmesan shortbreads, which are very easy. It's quite interesting, a savoury shortbread. And I make these ahead. I roll them into sausages. I put them in the freezer, trying to wrap them enough so they don't get frostbite. And then when I need them, I defrost, I cut them into coins and I just put them in the oven. And I think these are essential for my Christmas sanity. There's making a long time ahead and there is making just a few days ahead. And I think that really is important. I mean, something like red cabbage. I used to make red cabbage the way my mother made it, with lots of sugar and spices. In How to Eat, I called it red cabbage in the Viennese mode or style. And I do a very simple one, which is red cabbage just cooked in pomegranate juice. So it's not hard. But nevertheless, one of the reasons why it's quite good to do it ahead, because much as I adore red cabbage, it doesn't make a very agreeable smell when you're cooking it. So I get that done ahead. And the thing about red cabbage, it really does taste better when it's been sitting in its juices in the pan for a couple of days. Cranberry sauce I make ahead, and actually that's so easy to make. I used to get it from a jar when I was younger because my mother did, but it's so easy, it's almost embarrassing not to make it. It does get very thick when you make it ahead, so you need to kind of thrash it about with a fork. But when you're feeling Christmas stress, thrashing about with a fork is exactly what you need. One of the things I find very difficult is making gravy at the same time as you're making everything else on Christmas Day. So I make a gravy ahead. I get the giblets out of the turkey and I cook them with aromatics, carrots, onions, the usual, but lots of spice because this is my all-spice gravy. And I make that ahead so that really all I need to do on the day is put a little flour and a little fat in a pan, make a roux and add this wonderful stock. Maybe a little honey too. It really depends on how it tastes, but that makes life so much simpler. I couldn't have Christmas without bread sauce. When I was a child, I remember going into the kitchen and that smell of mace, clove, onion and sweet milk to me is the smell of Christmas. And obviously you need stale bread, so I get the bread staled in advance, but I make it on Christmas morning because that's my ritual. 
some amazing tips there for food. I just wondered, apart from the food preparation, are there any sort of practical things that you can do to help stay calm and organised in the lead up to the big day? I do think you don't want to be messing around, climbing up, getting things out of shelves. So what I do in advance is decide which bowls, which dishes I'm going to serve everything in and I put them out with a post-it note and scribble on it, you know, bread sauce in this, cranberry sauce here, Brussels sprouts in this one. Now, obviously, you can't do it too far ahead because then you can't move. But I have been known to clutter the floor with all my bowls. Actually, it's it's more helpful than it sounds because... It's that sort of organisation at the last minute when you're very flustered that can just push you over the edge. And I'm so clumsy, I end up breaking all my bowls. I hate planning, but I am an obsessive list maker. So I write a list of everything I'm going to do and I give a time to it. And in fact, in Nigella Christmas, I did actually publish that with all the times. But I have to say, I don't always stick to it. A friend of mine was over once a year and we were cooking Christmas lunch together. And she said, you do realise you're meant to have the water on for the Brussels sprouts by now because <laughs> I had actually not stuck to my own timetable. But it's still helpful and you can tick things off. Ticking things off is very, very good for one's sense of contentment. I wouldn't say smugness exactly, but it does give one a reassuring sense that everything is under control. Maybe an illusion, but it's helpful. Now, I do like to make edible gifts. It isn't because I'm so gloriously homespun and think something bought is bad. It's because... I would so much rather be in the kitchen boiling up a chutney than I would be at a shopping mall, queuing up, getting frenetic. So in a way, it's an act of self-indulgence rather than generosity. But, but you know, think of it as mutual self-interest. You, I think the thing is, a present that has thought in it rather than is just a bit of panic buying is much better. And I think people do get so excessive with presents at Christmas. Now, obviously, I'm not going to give the child some chutney. But for me, if I can give people a lovely jar of, say, my Christmas chutney, which is just the scent of the season, or I've got a beetroot and ginger chutney, excellent with leftovers and cheese. There's a chutney I made for Nigelissima, which I give for presents a lot because everyone loves it, which is a fig and olive chutney. I mean, dried figs, obviously. There's something about that rich sweetness of the fig and the salty sharpness of the olives that makes it quite wonderful. And I found once um, online <laughs> some ribbon that looks like olive leaves, and I festoon my jars with this. And can I just say, I am the world's worst wrapper-upper. If I can stick a ribbon on something and make it look pretty, rather than have to wrap it up, I, I feel a lot calmer. Uh, my late husband, John, when I would wrap a book even, used to say, it's a bottle of wine, because that's what it looked like by the time I finished wrapping it. <laughs> I think people do drop round at Christmas, if not unannounced, but suddenly you find you have to feed them. Now, I like feeding anyone, so I don't moan about that. So what I have sometimes is something I can just trot out. It's quite normal to have leftovers, so obviously you may not need to worry about the meal itself, but I think people do like something sweet at Christmas. So what I make ahead is some Christmas fruits, steeped Christmas fruits, I call them, which is with dried fruits. So, for example, I might get a mixture of dried fruits, raisins, sultanas, currants and glacé cherries, say, uh, dark glacé cherries, I don't go for the bright red ones, and I pour over them some incredibly treacly, beautiful spiced sherry called Pedro Jimenez. I mean, you don't have to use that. You could use any alcohol you want. But I love that. Not only if you just pour that over ice cream, spoon it over ice cream, I should say, um, 
It is wonderful. It almost smells like Christmas pudding. And also, if you keep a few jars, if you've forgotten to give anyone a present, you can quickly whip it out. And otherwise, I do golden sultanas in Grand Marnier. Wonderful and orangey. Actually, it does look very uplifting and golden. And because I always push things a little too far, and I do have a sense of kitsch, it's not actually breaking news, I do pour cherry brandy, not kirsch, but wonderful glowing ruby cherry brandy over some dried red cherries, and it looks splendid. Nigel, I wonder if I could ask you a little bit about Christmas Eve, uh, what traditions you have, what are some of the dishes that you always come back to? Well, I tend always to cook a ham partly because a festive ham looks so welcoming and gorgeous, but also I have in mind that the day after Christmas I'm going to have leftover turkey and I really want some leftover ham to go with it. Also for sandwiches, very important. So, of course, my traditional Christmas Eve ham has always been my ham and Coca-Cola. My children always loved my ham and Coca-Cola and indeed still do, but sometimes I want to change it up a bit and I do... A fantastic and so simple slow-cooked black treacle ham. And why this is really easy is that if you're quite stressed, wrangling a big ham in some boiling water or Coca-Cola can be uh, a trifle anxiety-provoking. So really what I do is get a big sheet of foil, heavy-duty foil, or maybe a few sheets, put a ham on it, and then I just get a tin of black treacle and just smother the ham in it, and then I wrap it up like a kind of Christmas present. It's quite loose, but very tightly sealed, and you can just leave it in an oven for, you know, best part of a day, I find. You've got your ham, it's very easy, just take the rind off, then start scoring, and it always reminds me of my mother at Christmas, that diamond pattern and studding with cloves, and then make another slightly treacly glaze, and then There it is, back in the oven. So it's very, very simple. Sometimes people wrongly assume that if a recipe takes a long time to cook, it's complicated. But actually, the ham's cooking itself in the oven. So it's very easy for me or for whoever's cooking it. I like to partner that with macaroni cheese. Again, it's because I always have, and I think that ritual is quite important at Christmas. My macaroni cheese deluxe, which I've always done, which has many, many cheeses, (laughs) many cheeses in that, and actually... I often put in whatever I've got around as well in the way of cheeses. But in Simply Nigella, I came up with a macaroni cheese that I absolutely love, which is a regular macaroni cheese, except it's got sweet potato and some feta in it. And the sharpness of the feta and the sweetness of the macaroni cheese really go with the ham well because ham also is both sweet and salty. And I quite like it too because it makes me laugh because it looks really bright orange, so it looks like you've got some macaroni cheese out of a packet. But in fact, the orange is the earthy goodness of a sweet potato. If I'm not cooking, say, a a proper meal, I then will have people round and I do my fully loaded potato skins. And that really is I bake some potatoes ahead, I scrape out the flesh of the potatoes, and I mix the potato flesh, um, once it's a bit cold, with sour cream, cheese, spring onions, you name it, anything I can, and then I put them back into the potatoes. Then I just put this mixture back into the potato skins, the kind of little boats, I suppose you could call them, and put a bit more cheese on top, and then put them in the oven when I need them, and they are really great. So they're very good if you've had a party or come back from a party and need something to soak up all the excess alcohol. And obviously, because they're fully loaded, I do like to sprinkle some crisp bacon on top in little pieces, little bacon confetti. 
I have sometimes gone a bit off piste, and instead of doing a ham and macaroni cheese, I do sausages and mash. And with the sausages, I do a cider and onion gravy. And I have a mash which is called heaven and earth mash. Heaven and earth mash has some apple inside the potatoes. Now, when I cooked that for my children when they were little, I would never have said there's apple in that mashed potato because then they wouldn't have eaten it, but they loved it. The reason why it's called heaven and earth mash is because you've got the apples that grow up in the skies and the potatoes which grow in the earth and in fact are called in German earth apples, et apple. And I do, you know, I do think you don't want to have too much on Christmas Eve because you, you know, you're gearing up for the next day. But I like to make my Christmas Rocky Road and I cut those into little squares, obviously. And then I have some little plastic reindeer, which I put as if they're, you know, climbing them. I put a really teeny plastic reindeer on certain squares and then dust with ice and sugar. And I rather like the look of it. I don't think you can be too kitsch for Christmas. I mean, good taste is important, but you don't want to have an excess of good taste at Christmas. Nigella, I want to see very clearly in my mind what Christmas Day is like at your house. So I'm assuming that the food is all served and it's on time, but what does it look like? Well, you assume wrongly then. Um, <laughs> it, I have had many disasters at Christmas with ovens not working and having to take an oven tray with a turkey round to a friend's house. <laughs> and quite recently, I did realise I was getting so late, I had to phone everyone to say, could you just come a bit later? But that was also another oven malfunction. But now, luckily... Um, I have a fully functioning kitchen, so that's great. Really, I think I do like Christmas decoration. I don't like everything to look too cluttered, but nevertheless, I do have a weakness for decoration. So I have some Christmas china that I bring out every year. Um, I can't remember who made it, but it's called Stockholm, and it has deer and forests on it. That's all I can say, and it's very, very beautiful. It won't surprise anyone to know that I have more fairy lights hanging um, from the house and from windows. Anywhere I can, there's a twinkle, and I love that. I even like a Christmas tree that has just lights on it. You don't need to go in for baubles. I mean, I do, and I also, ever since my children were little, make edible decorations. When my children were little, God, it sounds so awful, I used to put a lot of pepper into the mixture so they wouldn't eat the <laughs> decoration straight off the tree. And that wasn't just because I was mean. It was also because I was always frightened they might hurt themselves pulling at the tree. Various years, I go for different themes. Years ago, I went a bit Scandi with, you know, painted wood. These days, I feel, you know, Scandi is everywhere. So I don't go in for that quite as much. But I do still have a few, you know, white painted deer, and they do look very pretty. But otherwise, I don't know, sometimes I've gone really, you know, off-piste. I don't know what got into me, but one year I decided to do a very dark Christmas with sort of dark greys and blacks, which I called Christmas in the Batcave. <laughs> and it wasn't a great success. It did look quite beautiful at night uh, because obviously if you have a lot of silver shining on it, it does look rather magnificent. But I, I don't know that I would do it again. But, you know, we make mistakes in life. That's fine. I did a Bollywood Christmas one year, by which I mean I had those wonderful bright pinks and oranges and that looked gorgeous. When I was younger, I think I went of a good taste a bit too much and had only white decorations, which I like, but I don't think that's necessary. This year I'm going copper. The fairy lights twinkling and a lot of copper are going to look beautiful. So I've already amassed 
many copper bits of decoration, including uh, some miniature cooking utensils to hang on the tree and copper baubles. I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be very warm. And I should say also my Christmas table does look a bit messy because I often end up with many more people than I have chairs for. So I will say to someone, can you bring a couple of chairs? Or I find some stool that doesn't fit. So everyone is on sitting at a different level. And if I have to get an extra bit on a table, there's suddenly a bit where it goes up and down again. But it really doesn't matter. And actually, I think it makes it more relaxed. I'm not cooking an ambassadorial dinner. It's just friends around a table. If you're just having Christmas with a family, it's always good to have a friend there that your family don't know well enough to behave badly in front of. I think of it as a human shield. <laughs> now, I'm fully convinced uh, with your zealotry about the Christmas turkey. But I wonder if we could talk a bit about the sort of the accompaniments to go with that lunch. Are there things that you return to every year? I'm thinking about your your perfect roast potatoes, for example. Yes, it's fine. No, no, isn't it awful to call something perfect roast potatoes? I cook roast potatoes in the way that my mother and aunts did, which is I parboil them. I cut them in a particular way, I should say, first. And I was thrilled once in a book to be able to give... Um, a diagram. So I've always wanted to do a book saying see fig one. So I did a diagram of how I cut the potatoes. So if you imagine a potato being quite a long shape, I cut a central triangle so the potato is in three pieces with maximum edge for getting crisp. So I parboil these. And then instead of dredging with flour, that a lot of people do, I dredge them in semolina, which gives an extra crunch. It's perfect. So obviously that has to be there. Brussels sprouts with chestnuts, I couldn't have Christmas without, like my mother, I put an awful lot of butter there. But I have branched out there, like adding pancetta. My mother wouldn't have done that. And it's fantastic. You can use bacon, obviously. And I think as well, lots of parsley. And I would say if by some accident you have overcooked the sprouts and they are starting to look that rather depressing olive colour, all I would say is chop a lot of parsley and throw it on the top and then stir some through, throw more on the top. So that's definitely part of my Christmas lunch. I do a cranberry sauce that is a bit different, but sometimes what's nice is taking tradition and just doing it your way. And I call it redder than red cranberry sauce, and I add cherry brandy to it. At other years, I have had Cointreau, but you can also just use orange juice. So that has to be there. Bread sauce definitely has to be on the table. Gravy, and I should say that you cannot get everything out of the oven at the same time and on the stove. So I would say there are two things that have to be hot. Gravy and roast potatoes. I mean, I'm not saying the turkey must be cold, but it can stand quite a while, and then it will make carving easier too. But as long as your gravy is hot and your roast potatoes, preferably warm plates, it's very hard to find the room uh, to warm plates. But certainly, and I say the potatoes have to be hot, but for me, the next day, cold roast potatoes with some sea salt flakes on top are heavenly. So let's just stick to the gravy being hot. And I like red cabbage. I do do parsnips. I used to cook them in honey. My grandmother always cooked her parsnips in honey. But now I do maple syrup instead. And I find that better simply because parsnips are sweet and honey is very sweet. But there's something, that smokiness about maple syrup. It's less sweet. So I use that instead and I don't peel the parsnips. If I can get rid of one step, I get rid of it. You can't have Christmas lunch without stuffing. And because I brine my turkey, I don't stuff the turkey, I cook it separately, which is easy. So I do a gingerbread stuffing, and I'm completely unembarrassed about the fact that I buy a, a loaf of gingerbread, the gingerbread cake, not the biscuity sort. Gingerbread stuffing is wonderful. There's something almost medieval about it. Chestnut stuffing is also great, and... Again, I'm very happy to use a can of chestnut puree, but not the sweetened sort. And sometimes I've 
done a cornbread stuffing, which is very easy. And I, what I do with that is I do a sort of cornbread stuffing and then I let it get stale and I mix it with cranberries and various other deliciousness. Now, Nigella, as I've said, I'm fully signed up for turkey this year and you've mentioned some classical alternatives to that, like goose and beef. But uh, what recipes would you recommend for somebody who doesn't eat meat, for example? What I like to give to vegetarians, and it does look splendid, is a roast stuffed pumpkin. It's not that hard. I mean, the hardest thing is actually cutting the top off. Once you've done that or got someone else to do that, that's fine. And then I take out all the seeds and I stuff it with rice and dried fruits and spices. It's very hard to give exact measurements because all pumpkins are different. So what I do is I put a you know, freezer bag inside the cavity of the pumpkin and half fill it with rice. And then I know exactly how much I need to cook in it. And that does look splendid. It is very much you shall go to the ball. And with that, I serve a tomato and ginger sauce. And you cut this stuffed pumpkin a bit like a cake into slices. I think if you're going to cook a vegetarian Christmas or have a vegetarian option... It's very important that it doesn't look like a bolt-on. It really has to look magnificent and a real celebratory flourish. But if you haven't got room in your oven for stuffed pumpkin, then I do do a beetroot orzotto and a butternut orzotto. And an orzotto is really like a risotto made with barley. And it's much easier because you don't have to keep stirring and adding liquid slowly. And the golden and the red do look very beautiful. I suppose it also means changing the menu you're doing yourself if you are doing turkey with the trimmings because I always cook roast potatoes and goose fat and obviously that's a hostile act if you have vegetarians coming and similarly I wouldn't add pancetta to the Brussels sprouts so it's really just sort of thinking a bit like that I think also if you have got a lot of vegetarians eating you could add more vegetables I mean a beautiful red salad made with radicchio for example some pomegranate seeds on it certainly would add another festive flourish and put more on the plate of a vegetarian. Although, obviously, non-vegetarians are more than welcome to eat it too, and I always do. We've spoken about some quite sort of traditional Christmas dishes there, and I wondered, have you got any globally inspired twists for people who want to be a bit more experimental? I don't know about globally inspired, but I certainly have an Italian-inspired Christmas lunch when I get a turkey breast, you know, and cut it open and for me this is a big step because I'm a brown meat person. The turkey breast is opened out like a book. The stuffing of sausage meat and the marsala steeped cranberries is put along as well and then it's sort of closed again and that really is rather, it's rather fabulous and the stuffing means the turkey breast stays, you know, luscious. With my Italian turkey, or I should say my Italianate turkey, because it isn't really something I've noticed Italians cook, I make stuffing, then my panatelli stuffing squares. You know, you don't spoon it out, they're already cut into squares. And these are good alongside turkey or also as a canapé with drinks. I might cut them into slightly smaller squares for a canapé. And it really depends on how many people I've got, because I do like roast Brussels sprouts, which then have some pecorino or parmesan and some rosemary on top. So they take a lot of room up in the oven, so you have to have a pretty modest Christmas lunch. You wouldn't want to be doing that for 35 people. So what I might make as well after that, rather than a traditional Christmas pudding, or I should be honest, alongside a traditional Christmas pudding, is something I call Italian Christmas pudding cake. The Italian Christmas pudding cake is very easy. My Italian Christmas pudding cake, which is really neither a pudding nor a cake, is very easy because you get some uh, panettone, or I like to use pandora, which is like panettone without the dried fruits. And whether I'm using panettone or pandora, I 
cut it into slices and I line a tin with it, a cake tin. And then I layer this up with a mascarpone mixture, a bit like tiramisu and is slightly different flavourings. And at the top, I scatter it with pomegranate seeds and perhaps some marron glace and some pistachios, of course. You've got the white of the mascarpone, you've got the green of the pistachios and the red of the pomegranate seeds, a bit like the Italian flag. But it is really wonderful and it's very easy. I'm very influenced by Italian cooking, but I have to own up that my Italian Christmas option is more inspired by Italy than exactly Italian. As you just mentioned, traditional Christmas pudding has its fair share of detractors. Uh, If one really isn't to be converted, what do you make instead? Well, I often make something alongside a traditional Christmas pudding because I can't stand the moaners around the table. And I call it chocolate pudding for Christmas pudding haters. So I make a chocolate sponge in exactly the same shape and size mould I will steam my Christmas pudding in. And I just make a chocolate sponge and I steam it. Very easy to do. You know, it just really just cooks away while you're eating Christmas lunch. And then I pour a hot chocolate sauce over it. And actually, of course, it finds favour with children as well. And I think children reasonably don't often like Christmas pudding. But certainly, it seems to keep a lot of people happy. And I quite like the fact that it looks like a Christmas pudding. I do like a Yule log. Um, very French, the Bouche de Noël, which is really a very light chocolate sponge. You roll up with chocolate icing and then you cover it with chocolate icing and you break bits off to do the little sort of twiggy bits. And then the thing I quite like doing is getting some sort of skewer to do the sort of wood grain marks. It's not something I would suggest if you're really short of time, but it isn't actually hard. You just have to be a bit patient, but it does look very beautiful and it does taste good, but it is Christmassy. I mean, I think that's the point. I mean, there are a lot of different puddings you could make, But at Christmas time, you want it to feel that it belongs to the season. And on that note, (laughs) my boozy British trifle. I mean, I make many trifles and I'd be happy to offer up all of them. But there is something about a truly old fashioned looking trifle, you know, heavy with custard. And I do make my custard. I know a lot of people really champion using bought custard or making up custard powder. But I like making custard and I insist upon it. But I don't look down on those who won't, I have to say. But I do think there is something about the booze-soaked sponge, and I'm happy about whether you use stale cake, brioche, or I do favour a packet trifle sponge myself often. And then the fruit, the custard, the cream, and the decorations on top. I've gone often quite tasteful with sort of pomegranates and pistachios and whatnot, but a friend of mine says it is absolute heresy not to get those um, tooth-breaking little silver balls on top of a trifle. And I agree too. And I also like those dried crystallised rose petals or violets. And I, I think there is something about a trifle that is just, you know, like Christmas in your granny's house, which I like. After we have survived uh, Christmas Day itself, we get to Boxing Day. And I just wondered whether that meal of, of yesterday's leftovers, is that something that you really look forward to? I mean, I have to say, I really love the leftovers. For me, it's one of the best parts of Christmas food. And I've spoken a lot about this. I'm going to read something I wrote in Feast because it kind of sums up my feelings about leftovers concisely. And often when I start talking, I'm not so concise. I don't feel a house is a home until there are leftovers in the fridge. And Christmas leftovers are my all-time favourite. To be honest, I'm happy simply knowing there's a Boxing Day breakfast waiting for me to be eaten with my fingers while standing at the open fridge door of cold roast turkey, cold roast potatoes, cold bread sauce and a cardiac red blob of cranberries. 
I wonder if you could tell us what some of the dishes that we could make with our leftovers on Boxing Day are. I have to start with my Christmas sandwich. I know it's not exactly a recipe. In fact, it is no way a recipe. But for me, having everything that you have left over from Christmas lunch in a sandwich, I mean, it may you know prove problematic. You may have jaw ache after eating it, but it's worth it. So I have, that's there. And I also add mango chutney. Mango chutney is essential. There are people in my family who add mayonnaise. I'm not one of them, but certainly mango chutney. But of course... You know, you do need to provide meals and it actually makes life easier if you've got the leftover turkey and you don't have to be cooking all the time or at least thinking of big meals you're planning. I never understand why people moan about the turkey coming out again. I think it's something to be celebrated. I do think that Christmas lunch is traditional, but leftover turkey can be used in perhaps some untraditional ways. So I like to make a light and zingy noodle salad. So you might have a Vietnamese salad sometimes with those very fine rice vermicelli. And the dressing might be made with soy, ginger, garlic, some lemon or rice vinegar, some shallot, finely sliced, some chilli. And I shred the turkey and I make a salad with that and some freshly chopped coriander and mince, very good here as well. And I think there's something quite uplifting about that and it's light and you need something light. And I also, this isn't light, but I also quite like making bang-bang turkey, which is like bang-bang chicken, you know, that rather sort of thick, claggy dressing with peanut butter. But that is good, and I do like it, as long as there's a lot of shredded iceberg, and I will not listen to the snobs who sneer at iceberg. I'm all for iceberg, and that's very good. I do make a turkey hash, which is quite American in a way, but then my literary editor... Ed Victor is American, and he gave me this recipe, that, which is why I call it Ed's Victorious Turkey Hash. And it really is wonderful. Now, I, I just think if I hadn't eaten it first, I might not have cooked it, which is it's got some, some red peppers, which give a bit of crunch, and flaked almonds, which give crunch, some olives, a bit of sour cream, uh, leftover turkey stock or gravy if you have it, and some parmesan at the end. And it really is incredible. I mean, I can eat it straight from the pan. And another thing I can eat straight from the pan is my uh, Christmas bubble and squeak, which again is like the stuffing, um, the Brussels sprouts, anything, some parsnips, potatoes you have left over and sort of smooshed into something in a pan and just cooked with a fried egg on top is wonderful. I also make a salad I call North American salad, which I use wild rice, dried cranberries, and the turkey goes in there, and some pecans. I suppose in a way it's more Thanksgiving-y leftovers than Christmas leftovers, but since essentially our meal is the same, and I love that, simply because, again, it's quite different and it's quite easy to make, throw things together. I mean, I know that wild rice takes several years to cook, but once it's cooked, you can let it get cold, I mean, cool it quickly, and then it's fine. So I make a pilaf, which... I do adore, and it's quite delicate, even though I use brown basmati. I mean, you could use any rice. And I also I have lots of fresh dill in it and some pomegranate seeds, shredded turkey, leftover turkey. And I like a few seeds as well, you know, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, sunflower seeds. You can get, you know, a mixture of them all together, if that's easier. But I always have those seeds in the house, and I rather like it. A bit of crunch with the rice and with the turkey. And I, I think the thing about these sorts of salads or ways of using leftovers is that they introduce a different note. I love having leftover turkey, but I don't want to eat it in exactly the same way at every meal. I couldn't be any hungrier right now. Just so <laughs> good to hear about all the Christmas food. Nigella, thank you for telling us about all of that stuff. Uh, there's only one thing left to do now, which is to wish you Happy Christmas. And the same to you and to everyone. 
Thank you for listening to my seasonal sound bites, inspired by my books Nigella Christmas and Feast. My latest, Simply Nigella, is out now. You can also find a selection of festive recipes at nigella.com.